0: Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at LighthouseChurchNC.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the Dream Team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message, and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. Have y'all been enjoying this series Kingdom Culture so far? I got to tell you I've enjoyed teaching it, really getting into the words that Jesus said, really dissecting what Jesus said. And that's so key cuz there's a lot of problem that ha- there's a lot of people that have a problem with religion but they ain't got no problem with Jesus. There's a lot of people that got problems with church, but they got no problem with Jesus. So it's important to me to bring out the words of Jesus and to say what he actually says so we can digest that. But I think after you ingest some of what he said, you're going to realize that the church was his idea to begin with. And so everyone that says, you know, I'm I'm okay with Jesus, but don't give me church. You're kind of disrupting the thing that he started. You see, the Bible says, I'm going to do a quick little teaching. The Bible says... That Jesus is the head of the church and the church is his body. People that say give me Jesus but don't give me church are trying to decapitate Jesus and you can't decapitate him. You can't have the head without the body. They go together. And so it's bad theology to think that you can give me Jesus but not give me the church. And so that's why we are doing this sermon series, Kingdom Culture, so that we could read the words of Jesus, find the principles and applicability to our life, and to walk those things out. Y'all with me so far? All right. Hey, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. As you're standing, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. We're continuing on as Jesus was tested in the wilderness. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, and we are going to be at verse 5, and we're going to go down to 11. We're going to read six verses today. You guys okay so far with that? I know some of you are like, six verses? Pastor, come on. But listen, truth is, this might be the only Bible reading you do all week, so we're going to read it. Uh Uh-oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry meant it, but I'm sorry. All right. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Last week we were talking about getting the Word of God in you. Notice that the enemy, the tempter, came and actually quoted the Scriptures to Jesus. It's so important for you to know your word because the enemy will sometimes attack you with the word. And so you have got to be skillful with the word. You have got to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul exhorted Timothy and told him that. And so we must know our Bible. Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and the angels came, and they took care of Jesus. Would you close your Bibles, and can I pray with you all together in this room? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that is happening in this place. We thank you, God, for how you visited us in our worship service. We thank you, God, because we feel your presence in the room. And now, God, I pray that you open up every, every mind to hear your word, that every ear would be attentive to what you have to say. Father, our spirits are willing to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, look at your neighbor one last time and tell him you look good today. And you may be seated clapping your hands one last time in this house. I want to talk to you about this thought that, the, that God put in my spirit that's called the problem with potential. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. The other one, the other one that you didn't want to tell, look, good. Your second choice, tell them, the problem with potential. Last week, we went into this passage of Scripture where after Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist at the Jordan River... That the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. And when he was in the wilderness, the enemy came and he tempted him three times. There's some debate as to whether it was a temptation or whether it was a test. All we know is that the Spirit led him there and he was on Assignment And so last week, we talked about the very first test of Jesus when the enemy came and told him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. So if you missed last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to catch up with that. You can listen to that on Spotify, on the iTunes podcast, and we're also up on YouTube if you want to watch that as well. And that'll bring you up to speed to where we are today. Now today, we get to the point where the enemy tests Jesus, and we're going to tell two of them, because as we unpack these scriptures together, you're going to see that these two are woven together to create a single narrative as we conclude the testing of Jesus. And I'm going to go back to an illustration that I used last week. We can't separate the two of them because the very first temptation of Jesus, the very first test of Jesus of these two is fulfilled at the conclusion of the other one. And so it's like those good movies that I talked about. It's like those good movies that come together at the end. And so the enemy tests Jesus, but it doesn't all make sense until you get to the end of that third and final temptation. And let me explain it to you this way. When the enemy comes to test Jesus... He comes and he quotes the scriptures to Jesus. Now, I want to put that scripture back up on the screen. And this is now the enemy's rendition of the scriptures. He's quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And he quotes the scripture and he says to him, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot Against a stone. Now, this is a trick of the enemy. Remember, the enemy is a liar. And even when he attempts to quote scripture, he doesn't quote scripture the right way because he actually omitted a part of the original psalm that's found in Psalm. 91. That's why anything that he tells you, you can never trust it because he is the father of lies. If he says you're not good enough, it's because you are good enough. If he says that you'll never amount to anything, it's because God has big plans for your life. If he says that your life is going downhill, it's really because God's getting ready to take it uphill. Anything he says is a lie. So let's read what it actually says in Psalm 91. Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Now I'm going to read from the King James Version. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. And I've emphasized this next passage, this next, this next phrase here to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest, any, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Everybody say, to keep thee in all thy ways. To keep thee in all thy ways. The enemy intentionally left that out. That's why he's a liar. He's never going to give you the whole truth because he knows that if he gave you the whole truth, you'd be a lot more inclined to lean on that. And so he leaves things out. He's crafty. You've you, you got to give him credit in one thing. He's really good at what he does. He's really good at that, okay? And we know it's wrong, but he's really good at being wrong. He's not just a liar. He's a really good liar. And to the naked eye, it might feel like, well, he's just quoting the Bible. No, he's misquoting the Bible. And he left off an important part, to keep thee in all of thy ways. If you look at that phrase and you understand what the original language was saying and and the intent of that passage of Scripture, when God sends his angels to keep watch over you, when God sends his angels to protect you, he does that so long as you stay in the way of Christ. When you step outside of the ways of Christ, you are now stepping outside of his covering. When you step outside of God's plan for your life, now there is no obligation from God or the angels to come and protect you because you've removed yourself from the covering of Jesus. Too many people get themselves in a mess and they call out to God when God has already ma- they've already made a mess and they say God bless this mess and God ain't going to bless that mess because you're in a place where God never called you to go. You've left the way. Everybody say the way. And so he misquotes this scripture intentionally because he's trying to see if he can get Jesus to get outside of the plan that God had for his life. And so he omits the punchline of this entire psalm that he quoted. This entire psalm hinges on that statement, to keep you in the way, to keep you in the plan. He intentionally leaves that off because he's trying to paint a good picture. How many know that sometimes things might appear to be right, but they're actually wrong because you're doing it at the wrong time? The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Some of you may be fumbled into this in life where I think they say you put your foot in your mouth. Or maybe you're really excited to share some incredible news with your wife, but you're not sensitive to her emotions when you walk into a room. Men, can I get a good amen on that one? Sometimes you've got the right intentions, but when you do it at the wrong time, you better run and hide. And so Satan's test here was to get Jesus to step outside of God's plan for his life. But he does that by appealing to really what God would do through Jesus. He knew the authority that Jesus had. God had already affirmed who Jesus was and said, you are my son and whom I am well pleased. We talked about that two weeks ago. But what the enemy wants to do, and this is the first thing I want you to write down, is the enemy wants to disrupt God's plan. The enemy wants to disrupt God's plan. You see, there's two things. There's two ways that the enemy comes at you. Number one, and the very first way that he will attack you is the enemy will try to stop you from knowing God. The enemy, the first thing he will try to do is get you to question who you are. That's his first thing he's going to do. If I can get them to question who they are, I can stop them. Now, if he can't succeed at that, if he can't get you convinced... That If if he can't convince you uh, uh, to to believe his false narrative for your life, then the second thing he's going to do is try to challenge the plan that God has for your life. Two separate things, your identity and the plan of God. So if he can't get you by who you are, he's going to get you by where you are going. So if he can't get you to question your identity, he will get you to question God's purpose for your life he will get you to question God's plan for your life. If he can't get you to give up on God, he will get your plan totally confused. And many of us have been there where we know who God is. We've got this relationship with God, but something got dangled in front of us that appeared to be a good thing, and it may have been a good thing, but maybe it wasn't a God thing. And not every good thing is a God thing, but know that every God thing is a good thing. Are you tracking with me so far? Come on, clap your hands and say amen if you're with me. And the reason he tries to attack the plan that God has for your life is because we all have this deep burning question rooted on the inside of us. And that question is, what on earth am I here for? We all want to know why we are here on this earth. None of us wants to walk around through life without a purpose. None of us wants to go through this life without direction and without aim, without knowing what God has put us on this earth to do. And that's why he messes with you, because he knows you're searching for the answer to that burning question. And so he comes to you to try to get you to pursue things that might be a good thing, But when it's outside of God's plan and when it's outside of God's timing, it becomes the wrong thing. You see, the worst thing you can do is get ahead of God. How many know that to be true? The worst thing you can do, okay, is get ahead of God. Throughout the Bible, there has been several instances where great men and women of God got into a whole lot of mess because they got ahead of God. Now, God don't mind you walking, but he wants you walking behind him. God wants you walking with him. Hello, Saul. Do you guys remember King Saul in the Bible? King Saul was getting ready to go to battle. And it was the custom at that time that they would never go into battle without the prophet. Or the priest coming and offering the sacrifice. But Saul couldn't wait on the prophet Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice. So he did the good thing. He he went ahead and prepared the sacrifice and went to the altar and offered up a burnt offering unto God. But he did it at the wrong time because he was not anointed to do that thing. And because he was not anointed to do that thing, God said, I have rejected you from the kingdom. Wow. Right thing. Wrong time. Right thing, wrong time. And this is throughout the Bible where men stepped out and did something, and women stepped out and did something that was the right thing, but it was done at the wrong time. And it ended up costing them dearly. And this is what the enemy was trying to tempt Jesus with. He said, "Uh, if you get up on that temple, and if you jump down, the angels are going to come and they're going to rescue you. And the reason it was the wrong time is because there was an Old Testament prophecy that said that when Jesus comes back again, the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes back, and we're talking about the end of days, one more time, the, Jesus would appear, and he would appear from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, that's old, that's end, that is end time prophecy, and I don't have time to get into all of that, but the, but the tempter knew that this was Jesus' eventual plan, and he was trying to get him to get ahead of God. And he was trying to get him to do something that eventually he would do, but he was doing it at the wrong time. And I believe that is why Jesus did not directly rebuke the thing that Satan was tempting him with, but he rebuked the fact that he was tempting him. You see, in in, in the first temptation, he said, turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus do? He responded directly to the temptation. He says, I don't live by bread alone. But when he tempted him the second time, Jesus didn't talk about the passage of Scripture as much as he said, don't test me. He said, don't test me. It was a different type of rebuke to Satan this time. It was a different type of response. But also notice this. He didn't say to Satan at that moment, get away from me. And he could have. Jesus could have absolutely at that point in time said to Satan, go away. I rebuke you. He does it after the third test. Why did he not do it after the first or the second time? Well, you got to go back to the beginning of of this chapter of Scripture where the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by who? The Spirit of God. He knew that he was on assignment and he knew that he could not step ahead of what God was doing. So even Jesus himself submitted to the plan of God. And in that moment, he could have rebuked Satan and got him out of the room and got him out of the area. But he didn't do it because there was still one more test to come. And in his infinite knowledge, he knew he had to endure all three areas of this temptation. He was submitted to the plan of God. Everybody say the plan of God. And so he says to him, he misquotes the scripture, and he says that if you throw yourself down, the angels are going to come. And he intentionally takes out that phrase, to keep thee in all thy ways. He's trying to get Jesus to step outside of God's plan. Now watch how he does this. He appeals not just to his future, but he appeals to Jesus's potential. Everybody say potential. He appealed to Jesus's potential because scripturally he was correct. If Jesus jumped down Because of who he is in God, because he is the son of God, he had the potential to do so, and the angels would come and rescue him. And so the enemy tried to test him by appealing to his potential. Second thing that I want you to write down is this. Potential becomes a problem when it is not yielded to God. And we're going to unpack all of that right now. Y'all still with me so far? We're doing a whole lot of teaching right now. I hope you're grasping this. Potential becomes a problem when your potential is not yielded to God. You see, when the enemy questioned Jesus' authority, Jesus had the potential to turn the stones into bread. Say amen if you know he could have done that. Jesus had the potential to jump off of the temple and the angels would have came and protected him. And the third test, when he said, bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus has the potential to reign over all of the kingdoms of the world. So what the enemy was doing was appealing to his potential. Watch this. And this is how the enemy gets you to fall for the good thing that's not the God thing. You fall for the good thing. When it is not the God thing, when he appeals to the potential that you have on the inside of you. Because you think that because I have the potential to do that, it must be God. Because I have the potential to get this done, it must be a God thing. I've got potential to make a lot more money outside of the church than I can make here in the church. Can I just be honest with you all? And I'm not doing that to pat myself on the back. That's not my point in saying all of that, but several of you know my career path, and you know what I left on the table to come here because even though I had the potential to be very successful in corporate America, that potential was a good thing but not a God thing for me. And there are many pastors and men of God that I know, that I know, and I have known and know that have the potential to lead Fortune 100 companies right now if they decided to leave the pastorship and go in after executive leadership because they are gifted leaders. I mean, these guys can touch anything and make it grow. That, that's potential. Everybody say that when we say potential. That's potential. But just because you have the potential to do something doesn't mean that God has called that to be purposeful. And so you can't just rely on your potential. You have to yield your potential to the purpose of God. You see, potential without purpose can become a liability. Potential without purpose can become a liability. Because what happens is potential is you leaning on the stuff that you can do rather than leaning on what God can do. Potential is using the gifts and the talents that God gave you in a way that God never intended for you to use them. That is why it is so important to get on the dream team here at this church. And I'm not doing this to make a plug for you to come and join our dream team and to help us set up and tear it out and and make a difference in the world and make a difference in the lives of everyone that's coming here while I am shamelessly making that plug. Uh, It's not the only reason I'm saying that. It's because sometimes you got to yield your potential to the purpose of Jesus. And you've got to yield your potential to the plan of God. Because some of you, could you could be killing it out in corporate. Now, you could be killing it out in corporate. But maybe that's not what God has for you. And will you be okay to settle, settle. Will, I'm going to use that word because that's cultural, okay. Will, will, will you be okay to settle for what God has for you, even if it comes at the expense of what you would have wanted for your life? If you read Philippians that, gospel, uh, that, that, that book, uh, Philippians, that epistle, I was meant calling it a gospel, it's an epistle. Um, I, I don't want anyone fact-checking my theology afterwards, okay? There's haters everywhere, okay? <laughs> that epistle, the epistle of Philippians, Paul talked about that. You know what Paul said? I know what it was like to have a whole lot of money. I'm paraphrasing. I'm bringing it into the 21st century, okay? But, but I, you know, I know what it was like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little bit. He said, I know what it was like to have a lot of money, and I know what it's like to not have so much money. But he says this, but through it all, I've learned to count it all joy. I count it all joy. That's why one of our four values here at this church is that you choose joy. How many know that joy is a choice? Joy is a choice. Happiness depends on what's happening in your life. And happiness is fleeting. It will come and go. But joy is a choice that whether it's good or bad, a good month or a bad month, joy is saying, joy is simply saying that I'm going to choose to rejoice in spite of everything that happens to me, in spite of everything that might be happening through me, and in spite of anything that might come against me. I'm going to choose joy. Everybody say joy. So potential without purpose can become a liability. Especially when you know you have the capacity to do more. Now the danger with that, the danger of potential that is not yielded to God's purpose is it will cause you to live a self-centered life. And the culture of the kingdom of God is not to be self-centered. That's the culture of this world. Remember I gave you all that example about selfies? That word didn't exist 20 years ago. But we have become increasingly more a self-centered culture we we want to take selfies and lots of them i gave you guys the analogy of the disposable camera for those of you old enough to remember in this room all you young kids let me educate you they used to buy you used to go to the to the grocery store and buy a disposable camera i know that sounds ancient you throw it away when you were done with it weird really weird okay and there was only so many pictures you could take on there. You could take 12 or 24, depending on how your wallet was that day, okay? But that's all you got. I mean, how many thousands of pictures do you guys got on your phone right now? I know I'm well into the thousands. And, and trust me, it ain't selfie There's kids. My kids are a lot cuter than I am, all right? That's been proven time and time again on my social media. If I want to get a like, put Jude up there in the Spider-Man mask. It lights up, okay? But... but But self-centered is the culture of this world. I mean, I never heard that phrase until recently, you do you, and I'm going to do me. My barber was one time cutting my hair, and and, and a Christian guy, and he was just telling me, you know, I'm just going to do me, and I'm just going to do me, and I'm just going to do me. And I just about got up in my chair and slapped him upside the head, you know. Like, do you. He's talking about doing you. Don't you realize every choice you make affects people that you love around you? You can't just do youth acting like your choices don't have repercussions. You can't just do youth thinking it won't one day affect your future spouse for all the single people in this room. You can't just do you and buy stuff you can't afford jacking up your credit score because when you eventually meet your spouse you need that thing to be right just going to do me. For married people in the room, you, you, and you guys get this, and you ladies get this, there's nothing like having children to teach you how to be selfless. Amen? I almost feel like that's God's ecosystem to breaks self-centeredness. It's like, when you think it's all about you, I'm going to send you some kids. You've never been more selfless in your life than raising a child that does nothing but ask, 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 ask. And very rarely do they say thank you. Can I get a good amen on that? Self-centered living is not the culture of the kingdom of God. I'm talking about kids and I'm talking about all of that, but, but, but in a very, very practical level, are you living for a purpose that's greater than yours? Knowing that my life is a part of God's great big plan. God's got a great big plan and I get to play a part in God's great big plan. When we came into the city of San Marcos to launch this church, for those of you that are new here, we are only four months old as a church, okay? As a matter of fact, today would be our four-month anniversary. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're having a birthday month today, all right? A birth month or something, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I remember coming into this city, and the first thing that I wanted to do was meet with as many pastors as I could. And I looked at every pastor and I told them, I'm not here to compete with you, I'm here to collaborate with you. There are a lot of churches in this, in this city that are doing an incredible thing. And I told them, we are here to lock arms with you and we want to make Jesus famous in this city. Because it is not all about us. How many know it's all about God's great big plan that we get to be a part of? It's all about his great big plan. And so being self-centered, okay, being self-centered, which could be a byproduct of unsubmitted potential, being self-centered will right? we'll cause you to live a life that's opposite of God's design for you. And so we need to yield. Everybody say yield. What does it mean to yield? It's defined as to relinquish possession of something. To relinquish possession of something. If I were to put that and apply that into what we're talking about today, I am going to relinquish my potential to God's plan for my life. That's what it means to yield your potential. God, I'm going to take all the potential that you've given me, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that you have given me, and I'm going to yield it to you. I'm, I'm going to turn over my potential to you, and I'm in, in exchange, I'm going to get your purpose for my life. It's yielded potential. And this is the last thing that I want you to write down. Potential becomes purpose only when God is in control. You see, because potential in and of itself is not a bad thing. For those of you that might be scratching your heads wondering, isn't that our vision statement? It absolutely is. So that people far from God can fulfill their potential. Here's the kicker, in Christ. In Christ. I want you to fulfill the potential that God has for you. I want you to fulfill the potential that God has destined you for. But I want you to do it completely and wholly submitted to Christ. Not submitted to your own ambition. Not submitted to your own plans. But I'm going to take my potential, the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has given me. And I'm going to lay them before the Lord. And whatever he would have me to do is what I'm going to do. I'm going to submit my potential to the Lord. And so, as I mentioned a minute ago, Jesus was actually led to the wilderness by the Spirit. And the plan through all of this was that God was going to work through Jesus through the wilderness. If I were to give you a quick timeline of events, Jesus is born. We catch up with him when he's 12 years old. And then we see him at the baptism of John. And then the next thing happens is he goes into the wilderness to be tested. And you want to know what the very last thing that happens is? After that, he begins his ministry. And then his ministry is going. All of this was necessary. You see, we want to have, we want to see God's purpose lived out in our life, but we don't want to go through any sort of testing in our life. I got potential. I'm I'm too, I'm too, uh, I've got too much to sit. I've got too much in me to wait on God. That's a big one right there. I've got too much in me to wait on God. Listen, you cannot afford to not wait on God. You cannot afford to not wait on God. When you get ahead of God, you are completely outside of his care. He is not obligated to bless you when you have stepped outside of his plans, when you have stepped outside of his will, when you have stepped outside of his desire for your life. Now, God in his graciousness rescues you from all of that. But his desire is not to say, oh, okay, well, well, I'm, I'm coming alongside you now because you came to that altar and you repented. So, so now I'm with you. No, no, no. Repenting is a U-turn, which means you were going in one way. Now you're coming back to his plans. And he's saying, come on over here where I'm at. This is why our language here at the church is I don't want God to be on my side. I want to get on God's side because God's side is the right side. And too many of us are over here and we're wondering god why aren't you with me here and god's like i never called you to go there but it felt right because i had potential you had potential but you never submitted it to me and because you never submitted that potential to me you're out there doing your own thing you are doing you boo okay you're out there doing your thing and i'm still over here waiting for you to come back to the plan that i have for your life and then we wonder why we feel like we have an orphan spirit. You want to know what an orphan spirit is? This is, this is, some, this is, this is a kingdom language, if you will. And I, I don't have time to explain all the intricacies of it all. But we were singing about that song today. And we started talking about I am a son of God and declaring God's promises for our life. And it's really shaking that orphan spirit, and the orphan spirit, the the cause of the orphan spirit, if you think about what makes a, a, a young man or a young woman that grew up in the foster system is they don't know when they're going to be left by one family to be picked up by another family. So they deal with a great, they, they deal with so much insecurity in their life because they don't have a permanent home. That's why it's so beautiful when they're adopted because they'll use language like, this is my forever home. And it's a beautiful thing, Amen. When someone that suffered with that, with someone that suffered through that affliction in their life, not knowing when they're going to come and not knowing when they're going to go, and so there seems to be really no plan for them, and it causes a great deal of anxiety in their life. And the only reason I can talk about this is because my wife's in counseling; she tells me how to talk about all this. All right, <laughs> she deals with this stuff all day, so it's not like I'm telling you from personal experience. But what I can tell you is that it, it, it causes a great deal of trauma, not knowing. What the plan is. Watch this. The reason you haven't, some of you have an orphan spirit in this house right now is because you've completely left God's plan. He has a plan, but you walked away from His plan. Why? Because you were chasing your potential rather than submitting your potential to God. And so when you've chased your potential, you have no plan. And you'll bounce around because you're not submitted to God. And meanwhile, God's over here saying, I got a plan for you i got a plan for you. I've got a future for you. One to bless you. One to prosper you. One that's going to make you the head and not the tail. But you want to be over here. And then you live in this place enough and you now have an orphan spirit. And you have walls up when you come into the presence of God. Because you don't know if this will ever be your forever home. You don't know if the presence of God and the spirit of God. You're wondering, will this church even be a forever home for me? One of the things that you know you want to know how good God is, I mean it, it, we could talk about it all day, uh, but one of the good things of god and, and, and what we've seen happen here at this church is um, there's several of you that came from a church that was in the area, and it didn't quite work out. Pastor moved to another state, and there were several people that then had to go find a new home, if you will so so they had to find a new home and there was a church literally just down the street from us, and in the month of December, they closed their doors to that Spanish service, and a number of those members came here and and, and now you 're here and and what 's beautiful is I was having this conversation with my investment banker, and I was talking to him, he managed all my investments and his uncle was the pastor of that congregation, so his uncle w- retired and um, and when he retired, the church just decided we're just going to close that service out, and so they didn 't have a home to go to, so several of them are now at very vital part of our team. I was having this conversation with my investment banker. I said, hey, you know, your uncle's church, yada, yada, yada. And he said this, and it was so true. He goes, wow, God really does have it all figured out, doesn't he? That we would come into this city right at that time and people who were without a home would find a home. And people that felt like they were maybe orphaned in the faith, if you will, would find a house where they can come and be in community because we were never meant to live life alone, were we? We're meant to live life in the community with other people. And so God has brought us all together now and we are now creating this big, beautiful family. How many of you are just grateful to be a part of this big, beautiful family? What I love about this family is there are people here of all all colors, and that's the type of church that we want to be. We want to be a multi-ethnic church, Lighthouse. So I know we might be dominated by one particular ethnic group at this moment, but there's going to come a day when you walk into Lighthouse Church and every tongue and every tribe is going to be represented here and people that didn't have a home are now going to have a home because we are going to go after the plan of God. We're going to go after the plan of God. Let me come back to this and close it all out. And I I can't even remember if I put this in my slides or not. God's been tugging at me with this word all, all week long. Satan tried to get Jesus to step away from the plan, but Jesus refused to move ahead of God. He didn't rebuke the enemy sooner, although he could have, but he endured the testing because God wanted him to be an example for us. Jesus gives us the example of what it's like to endure testing. And listen to me, church, you have got to learn how to endure Because if there's one thing I can promise you, it is this life will not get easier just because you found a new church home. Matter of fact, all hell might break loose. Because if the enemy enemy knows that now that you've found a family, we're going to speak life to you and we're going to journey through this life with you so you can become everything that God has created you to become. Listen, I'm happy seeing you this week, but next week you better have grown just a little bit. And next week you better have grown just a little bit. And next week you better have grown just a little bit. It's not about coming to this place and staying the way we are, but it's growing in Christ until the day that he says that our work here on earth is done. And so now that you're in this community, he might come at you even harder, give you extra hours to work on Sunday. Oh, but pastor, it's good money. My family could use the money. Is it a good thing or is it a God thing? All of a sudden, you've been praying for a relationship, and Mr. Wright walks through the door. Only problem is Mr. Wright don't know Jesus. Is it a good thing or is it a God thing? It breaks my heart every time I see people pray, 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 pray for something. And when they get it, they walk away from God. Is it a good thing or is it God? But the punchline, let me get to the punchline. Verse 11. The Bible says that, then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. What was the passage of scripture that the enemy tempted Jesus with? If you are the son of God, jump off and the angels will come and take care of him. He endured the testing, and then what happened? The angels came took care of him. It was all said and done. Why? Because he never got out of the way of Jesus. He stayed right in the path. The scriptures in Psalm 91, 11 to 12 says, he will, he will command his angels to keep charge over thee, to keep thee in the way. They will come and protect you, but only if you stay in the way. You get to verse 11, Jesus never faltered. Jesus never pivoted. Jesus stayed right in the way that his father had for him, and when he stayed right in the way that his father had for him, blessing just flowed. And eventually the angels did come and ministered to him. But that happened because he stayed on the path. Look at your neighbor and tell him, stay on the path. Come on, I want you to say that to them like you had some Wheaties this morning. Don't be nervous. Tell them, stay on the path. As we close out, some of you... Some of you are really worried about baptism. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I've been, teaching, I've been teaching baptism at Lighthouse for many, many years. As a matter of fact, I wrote the curriculum that we now use at both campuses. And um, I have taught so many, so many sessions on baptism throughout the years. And over the last few years, we've been very fortunate to baptize hundreds of people at Lighthouse Church. And, um, and probably getting close to thousands now. Um, but but uh, I, I say all that. Because so many people are fearful to take to, to take that decision, baptism, baptism, that that next step. I'm just so afraid, Pastor. What if I mess up? Listen, as long as you stay in the way, you're going to be okay. I'm not saying perfect. I'm just saying, staying stay in the path. I'm not saying you got your life together. What if I make a mistake? Hey, trust me, you're going to make a mistake. Okay, you know, Pastor Josh still makes mistakes. Pastor Joe makes mistakes. Pastor Phil, makes, we all still make mistakes. But that doesn't stop me from doing my best to live my life on the path. And so the promise of baptism, the promise of making that decision is not that everything's going to get easier. It's that you'll never be alone. That's the promise out of the word of God, that you will never be alone. You don't have to feel like an orphan ever again. You don't have to deal with an orphan spirit ever again. You will always have Christ. And you may go through hell and back, but you will always have Christ. Jesus. And how many know that as long as I got Jesus, I'm happy with where I'm at? How many of you can also say, as long as I got Jesus, I've got everything that I need. As long as I have him. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. So just give me Jesus and it's all going to work itself out. And so if you have not yet been baptized, I want to encourage you, take that next step. Next Sunday, we're going to have a party here at Lighthouse This church is going to be full. I already know it. There's going to be so many families that are going to come and celebrate with the people that have already made a decision to get baptized. But I'm going to lead you to this place. Will you just make that exchange today? Your potential for his purpose. I'm going to lay down my potential at the feet of cross. And I'm going to embrace everything that he has for me. Let's lean in right now. Let's pray. Would you do me a favor and just close your eyes and let's lean in. And let's just pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for all that you are doing in this place. I thank you, God, because your word is powerful and it is so true. And my prayer today, God, is that we would surrender our potential, yield it, God, to your purpose and your promises. God, whatever you're calling us to do, that's what we want to do. For some of us, Lord God, that's staying right there in the marketplace, but being used of you to make a difference in that place. Not all of us are called to leave our jobs and pursue ministry, Father. That's not the point of it all. But the point of it all is that our potential would be completely yielded to you. That we surrender our life's plans to your plans. Teach us, God, to number our days. Teach us, God, to number our days. Father, when we put them in your hands, Lord Jesus, that's the number that matters. That's the number that matters. Living a life completely and wholly submitted to your plan for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.